if you, if you happen to miss the last couple of Sundays here, I, I really want to encourage you to go online and listen to the podcast of Pastor Stan's sermon series, Vital Signs. It's really, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's important to know who we are and where we're going and what God has called us to do. And I think that's a, that's a great place to start. You know, Pastor Stan talked about belonging, becoming, and blessing. And there's a, there's a scripture that comes to mind when I think about our growth, becoming more like Jesus wants us to become. Daniel 11.32 says, But the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits, one version says. And the word know is, in the original language, is, is, the word is yada, which is the same word that is used in Genesis when it says that Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate relationship that they have, and it's an intimate relationship that God is looking for in our lives. He really wants to know us. He actually knows us already, knows us pretty well, knows how we're wired, but he wants you to know him better because when you get to know him better, you just grow and you become better. And so uh, just want to encourage you to check that series out. Last Sunday, Pastor Stan finished the sermon with a scripture in Psalms 108, verse 13. It says, with God's help, we'll do mighty things. With God's help, we'll do mighty things. And I love that verse because it's a, it's a fabulous promise and reminder for our church family and for us individually, and it's also really nice, so I borrowed it for the title for my sermon this morning. Who, with God's help, we will do mighty things. The Bible is filled with amazing accounts of God's mighty power, mercy, and love in and through people. And one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is a guy named Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was the prince of Israel. His dad was the king, Saul. And most of us know Jonathan in, in the context of him being the best friend to David. David and Goliath, David, that David, they were really good friends. And, and then later on in, in 1 Samuel, I think it's in the 16th chapter where it talks about their relationship. But that's what he's most known about. Not too many people, if you thought about heroes and warriors in the scripture, I don't know how many of you would say, yeah, Jonathan's in my top 10. That is, unless you've read 1 Samuel chapter 14, because it's amazing what he does. And let's just, let's start there. I'm going to read this. First service, I, I asked the folks to read out loud, and they didn't do so good. So this service, I'm just going to carry the bucket myself. So here you, go. you can follow me on the screen. First Samuel chapter 14. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migran. Among Saul's men were Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. Got some jacked up names in the Bible, man. <laughs> son of Phineas. Is there a Phineas in the house? Thank God. <laughs> Phineas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Seneh. The cliff on the north was in front of, the, of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outposts of the pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Verse 7, do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, God, that you by your spirit breathe on your word to bring life, to bring understanding, to, to bring revelation to our hearts and to our minds. And the purpose for that is for, so we could grow in our understanding of who you are and your purposes and plans for us. And so today, God, we need your help. I certainly do. And I ask that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. When you read that account in 1 Samuel chapter 14, you find the Israel has been at war with the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul began with 3,000 special ops elite fighters. The Philistines had at least 6,000, I should say 3,000 special ops guys for Israel. The Philistines had at least 6,000 fighters. And when we find Israel's army and Saul in 1 Samuel 14, the 3,000 Israelite elite had been whittled down to 600. That's a 10 to 1 ratio. And I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but you've heard the term, you know, fighting with one hand behind your back. Well, Israel finds itself with both hands tied behind their back, and they're about to get whooped. The Philistines had been sending out raiding parties to harass and weaken the Israelites. Saul and what was left of his army was on the farthest edge of the encampment, discouraged and disoriented. Defeat seemed imminent. Perhaps that's where you find yourself this morning. Your life is a war zone, and defeat seems imminent. You and your spouse are at, at wit's end. Perhaps nobody knows it, but you have an addiction that has consumed your life, and you see no way out. Perhaps this morning, you're still looking for a job. Perhaps your health has taken a hit. Perhaps it's been a while since you've been to church, and you showed up because you're desperate. Don't know, why, don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. And I hope you'll open your heart to hear from heaven this morning because the solution to your situation is in God's hands. So the Israelites were in a hard place and in the midst of that, God speaks to Jonathan and inspires him to do the unthinkable. Let's pick that back up in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. Remember, they're outnumbered 10 to 1. He's asking one guy, he's not asking an army of guys, he's asking one guy, he goes, let's you and I, me and you, let's go over here and check out what's going on with the Philistines. Sounds reasonable? Not. Pretty bad idea, I think. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp to reach the Philistine outpost. Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senan. The first thought I have for us from this story is don't wait around for everyone to get on board before you do what God has put on your heart. Don't wait around to get an ad away before you do what God has put on your heart. Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison. The distance is about three and a half miles, three miles running between two jagged points. There was a sharp rock on one side and sharp rocks on the other side. Mi'kmash was occupied as the posts of the Philistines. Two camps were in sight of each other. And it was up a steep, rocky side isolated that, 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 that separated them from, from each other. And Jonathan in his armor bearer, he calls him and says, hey, let's go. Let's do this. His actions would have, would have been viewed as rash and contrary to the established rules of military discipline and engagement. He was supposed to check in with his commanders before doing anything like this, but he didn't. He just felt compelled by the Lord, and he went and did it. October 1999, Pastor Stan was working at his desk. He's told this several times. And he felt the Lord said, I want to establish a great high school that will glorify my name. Stan's reaction, I remember him saying, was, God, I don't know much about high school. And God assured him, I know a little bit about high school, I think. I remember I, at, the, at the time in 1999, I was one of the elders on the board of elders, and Stan came to a meeting, and he said, hey, guys, I feel like God is leading us to build a high school. 
I mean, kind of out of the blue. And uh, I remember sitting there, and the first thought that came to my mind when he said that, I don't know why, but I got all emotional. And the word that came to my, my, to my mind and my heart was the word safety. I don't know what your home life is like, and I don't know what your kid's home life is like, but for some kids, home is a train wreck. It's not a safe place. It's just, it's messed up. It's dysfunctional. And then they go from that, that place that is not safe, they go to a, another school, whether it's public or private, doesn't matter, and they just get barraged and bombarded and just beat down. There's never a timeout. There's never a place where they can just settle and be kids. There's never a place where somebody's looking out for their best interest. And I thought, what if we could build a place like that? What if Horizon, well, at that time it was Grace, what if Grace Community Church could build a place here in the middle of the Tualatin Valley that could that could be a place where kids can come and just be kids. What if it could be a place that's safe for them? And I, and I thought to myself, man, we can do this. Did I have any? None of us knew how to build a high school. Never been there. But God was speaking to our hearts. And I remember one of the elders, Bill Stein, prayed a prayer. And it sounded something like this. Lord, help us discover your will for us. Help us discover your will for us. We had this sense, all of us had this sense that, man, perhaps God is calling us to do something unconventional, something way beyond our abilities. That was October 1999. Just a few weeks later, in November 1999, a donor of one of the, a parent of one of the kids at our middle school asked Pastor Stan, what would you do if I gave you, if I donated $600,000? I'd say, buy me a car. But Stan, being the godly man he is, didn't tell me. And he just said, well, you know, let's, we're just going to pray about it. And so, again, we prayed. And, and then he, he, he called the gentleman and said, we, we would buy, we have a school property, but we would buy another property. And, and we feel like God would have us build a high school. And then while he was praying with his son, Aaron, I forget how, well, that was 1999. And he gets a phone call from the same donor. And the donor says, hey, uh, that, that. $600,000, we're going to bump it up to a million dollars. We are not that smart, folks. We are not that good. September, two th- so that's a million dollars that's on the table. And we started with zero. We don't have any property. We don't have any money. We have a promise. And we have a word from Jesus that we got to do this. September 2000, Pastor Stan and Pastor John were at the Washington County Planner and, and, and they wanted to have uh, we wanted to have between 40 and 60 acres. We're just having a conversation with the guy. Hey, we want to have 40 to 60 acres of land for a church and a high school. And the county planner had a smirk on his face. And Pastor Sands said, man, it seems real difficult for large churches to, to build an organ. Why is that? And the county planner said, it's not hard to build. If you get 40 acres in the ur- urban growth boundary, we'll build it for you. But not even God or the Pope can give you that. And you know, Pastor Stan, he's a fighter. You don't want to say that to Pastor Stan. He said, oh, you shouldn't have said that now. Now God's going to have to show you that you're wrong. You must be a Beaver fan. <laughs> Stan's a Duck fan. That was September 2000. March 2001, a lot of stuff happened. In fact, we had a, and, 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 and we discovered 38 and a half acres that were available, that were for sale. It was right here. And so Stan and and, and I think it was John went with you, went down to Salem, and they met with the owners of the property that we now have. And after about an hour and a half of talking, they walked away with the deal. And here's the deal. Raised $2 million in three months, 
and you've got this. And the earnest money I need is $5,000 for all of this land, $5,000. That's a miracle. But what's going to be even more of a miracle of our jump is this $2 million that we have to come up with in three months. May 10, 2001, we had a leadership commitment event. $1.7 million are pledged by the leaders of Grace Community Church, now Horizon. May 19, 2001, we had a prayer vigil for the main event, which was a, a fundraiser for our entire church family. $2.5 million is pledged. That includes the leadership pledges. Along with a $1 million matching fund, that's a total of $3.5 million. June 3, 2001, the church voted unanimously to buy the acreage on Norwood and Boone's Ferry and sent the $2 million to the owners. June 17, 2001, the deed is recorded. We own the land. October 2002, the county planner, remember that cat? Recommended approval of conditional use permit for the church. May 2003, it's Miracle Weekend. We're raising, again, more money. $300,000 comes in as a result of your generosity and your giving heart. May 2003, we start the site preparation with 1.2 million in available cash. June 2003, groundbreaking and prayer services on Norwood. November 13th, the foundation is poured. This is it, you're sitting on it. This foundation was poured November 13th, 2003. April 15th, 2004, the Oregonian reported on Metro Plan, the map showed our property under consideration for the urban growth boundary. Remember, well, prior to us coming here, this was a rural permit. The, the cap on this was, what, I think 150 students, and they all had to have rural addresses. We had a heart to build an ur a school that was in the urban growth, and we had, a, we had a vision from the Lord to build a school that will have 1,000-plus students. And the county laughed at us. They just kind of, yeah, church guys, what do they know? They didn't know that we didn't know anything. <laughs> September 2004. No, I'm going back. June 2004, June 25th. The decision is made. We are in the urban growth boundary. I'm telling you, folks, there is a God. We are not that smart. We are not that good. September 2004, the soccer fields at the new property is used for the first time by Westside Christian and CCS, which is now Horizon Christian Elementary School. June 15, 2005, we take our, the land that we had, reconfigured it, and sold off a piece of it, about 13 acres, if I remember correctly, Pastor Stan, and we netted $6 million from the transaction. The official start date for the building was October 24, 2005, and on September 2006, Horizon Christian High begins classes off campus because we had some permitting Issues that we had to navigate. But later that year, they were on campus. Seven years later, here we are, a bunch of folks with a passion to follow Jesus with our whole heart. On 38 and a half acres, in the urban growth boundary that not even God or the Pope could get us. <laughs> meeting in a gymnasium that, that's not supposed to be here. Graduating over 140 seniors from a Christian-centered high school that was never supposed to happen. Hundreds of lives, students, parents, faculty, staff have been impacted by Jesus. And that's just part of our story as a church. That's part of your story as a church. But what about your own personal story? What has God spoken to your heart that flies in the face of conventional thinking? That leads me to 1 Samuel chapter 14, 6 in my second thought. 
This is Jonathan again. Let's go across to the outposts of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Second thought. God can change everything when he finds someone willing to do something. God can absolutely change it if you, if you find somebody willing to do something about it. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can hinder him. And this, when, when Jonathan says perhaps, he's not, he's not doubting God. In fact, he's declaring, hey, I'm not that smart. I'm not that strong. I'm not that courageous. But there's a God that's compelling me to do something beyond my abilities. He's telling me to go, and I know it doesn't look good. I know it looks dumb. I know it's unconventional. But the one who, the one who, who created the planet, the one who, who, who established the foundations of this world, he's speaking to me, and he's saying, go. And perhaps he will show up. Perhaps you'll be there to engage me in the journey and in the process. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, if you want to read, that's another amazing account of, of one of the heroes in Scripture, Joshua. Moses, the greatest, one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, had passed on. And in the first few verses, God shows up and he says, Joshua, hey, bro, Josh. Moses is dead. You're the man. It's time to take over. You can do this. You can lead these people. Here's what it says in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. I've got some amazing women in my life, five of them to be exact. And uh, women are really interesting. Uh, there's Kimberly, she's the love of my life for the past, this, we're going on 27, right? Yeah. 27 years together, she's never thought about divorce, murder, she's thought about quite a bit. <laughs> um, and then there's Haley in Brooklyn, Layla, and Gabriella. And... Uh, Women are interesting. Guys, you just, you know, I, 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 I'm Polynesian, but I'm very time conscious. You know, in most Polynesians, time is kind of a concept, a theory. But for me, I don't know why it is, but I like to be to places on time. I, I mean, it just, it just drives me nuts when we're late to stuff. And although it's my fault sometimes, it still drives me nuts. And so I like to be earlier, or I want to be earlier, at least on time. And the girls, they live in a totally different universe. Because you're getting ready, right? You're getting, all, you're getting all your stuff ready. You got clothes up, whatever. Then you're out to the car and nobody's behind you. And you come back and ask, hey, what's going on? Oh, I got to do And you hear all this clamoring going on upstairs. and no mo you, There's noise, but no progress. And it takes them about an hour and a half, I think. And I know they're painting stuff and combing stuff and tearing stuff. I don't know, I don't know what the heck they're doing. Whatever they're doing, it is inefficient. And I'm sitting here thinking, and then, and then here's my bright idea. I'm going to go in and sit in the car, and I'll show them. I'm just going to sit in the car, turn on, and just wait and be mad. That's never worked well for me. So the girls are kind of doing what they do, painting whatever they're painting. I'm thinking, God, what's taking so long? Let's just go. So this summer, I visited Brooklyn in Australia. By the way, I just want to thank you, church. Uh, you blessed our family. You blessed me. Gave me the ability to go to 
Australia for a sabbatical. I was there for about five weeks, and I was just enriched and encouraged and just built up. And man, I got some wind, wind under my sails, and I came back feeling really good, really rested. Uh, and then I realized those girls hadn't moved out of my house. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I spent some time with Brooklyn, and she was, she's involved in, in, at Hillsong, and she's kind of running this one, helping with this one department that's always taking care of guests. And so she'd have to be there early, like 7.30 in the morning. Uh, she'd have to get there. And so we only had one car. I'm there hanging out. And she'd go, okay, Daddy. And then she would, she gets up like, we have to be there at 7.30. She's up at 6, so she can be someplace at 7.30. And that still didn't help. And so I'm, I'm watching, you know, I'm kind of help. I, I can't paint her face for her. So I'm sitting in the living room watching the TV and watching the time, and it's just getting worse. And worse. I said, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm just getting ready. I'm just getting ready. I'm just getting ready. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Daddy, and so she comes out. She's in this, you know, hair is kind of this way and clothes are coming on. I said, just, you know what? Get your stuff. Get in the car. You get ready on the way. I'll drive. Just get, just get ready on the way. And sometimes we're like that with God. We think that we have to have our act together. We think, man, if I just have my plans down, if I just have this, you know, I have it all charted out and get the Excel spreadsheet or whatever, I get it all planned out. We think, okay, we're ready. Or we think, well, I don't have, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I don't have the, I can't, whatever. You, you, you put your little insecurity in there when God calls on you and you, you're thinking, man, I, I'm not ready. Well, hey, note to self, God is not asking you to be ready. He's telling you to get ready on the way. He'll drive the bus. He'll, drive, he'll get you there. Just get in the car and get in there. And you can get ready. On, it's all right. Jonathan and Joshua didn't have a clue what was going on. Jonathan didn't know what to do. I'm sure he didn't know what was, what was waiting for him on the other side. All he knows is that God had told him to do something and he was just going to go. God didn't expect Jonathan to know how to. He just wanted him to be willing to. And God is saying to you and I, hey, I'll drive. I know where I'm going. I'll get us there. You just need to get ready on the way. Courage is not the absence of fear. Pastor Stan says this all the time, and I I love it. I agree with it. It's not the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of fear. Courage is is the act of putting some feet to your faith, not just talking about it, not just believing with your mind, not just kind of feeling good. It's actually doing something once, once God kind of impregnates your heart and, and soul with, 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 with a reality or a vision or a dream. It's time to step up with it. It's time to take a little step. And it's scary because you're not ready. And guess what? Nobody else is either. That's the truth. How many of you guys in your first job knew everything you had to do in your first job? How many of you knew that? Well, you're a rare breed. Most of us, we faked it till we made it, right? Right? And I remember my first job, one of, one of my jobs in Hawaii, I was, a, I was a roofing project manager and estimator. Did I know anything about roofing, project managing, and estimating? Absolutely not. And I was mortified that the rest of the crew would know that I, was, that I lacked a lot of skills. Actually, they knew that. I just was hoping they didn't really know it, but they did. So I'm, I'm killing myself. I had to work on the computer. That was kind of new. And, and apparently there's a, there's a noise the computer makes when you hit the wrong button. I didn't know that. For about four weeks, I'm in this office, enclosed, thinking to myself, I'm going to get fired if I don't get my act together. I'm working. And there's this guy named Willie, this little Filipino guy. He's sitting outside the door. Every time I come out the door, he looked down and looked busy. And uh, after about, a, about six weeks, I finally got my act together. And me and Willie went on a site. And he goes, boss. Yeah, Willie. 
You're not good with computer, huh? <laughs> what do you mean, Willie? Beep, 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 beep. I say, Willie, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I don't even know anything about computers. He goes, I know, boss. <laughs> so why are you killing me? I afraid, boss. I said, Willie, could you please help me? So Willie took the time to show me how to run some programs. You know, I, I could pretend that I knew what I was, when I go on a work, job site, I'm pretending like I know, I don't have a clue. What, I'm scared they're going to ask me some real questions. <laughs> hey, get ready on the way. You are not as good as you need to be, but that's okay because you, you're jacked up anyway. Right? Right? Come on, be, let's stop beating yourself up. Put some feet to your faith. Take one step at a time. That's all God wanted Jonathan to do. That's all he wants us to do. We have a tendency to look at what we don't have. God just looks at himself. We're good. Let's go. What about Moses? Speech impediment. David and Goliath. Remember that guy? He's supposed to fight the giant. What do you got, Dave? Sling and some rocks. Pretty sure that's not on the, like, man, in, the, in, the, in the manual for how to engage a giant in combat. Pretty sure that's not in there. Jonathan and his armor bearer were outnumbered by over hundreds to one. Hey, folks, we're not that smart. We're not smart enough to get the money we needed to purchase and develop all the acreage that we have or build a high school or establish ministries that bless and strengthen families that serve and build bridges into our communities and support missionaries and works across the world. We are not that smart. But Pastor Sam said, perhaps the Lord will help us. Our board of elders said, perhaps the Lord. You said, perhaps the Lord will help. He can win a battle with many warriors or just few. Perhaps he'll do it. God doesn't expect us to understand the scope of his call on our lives. Talk to Abraham about that. Joseph, Noah, Jonah. He calls us to obey and follow and trust. His heart's towards you. He's for your good. He's not for your bad. He's not out to make life rough for you. He wants to make, Jesus said, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life, a fulfilled life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work, everybody say good work. I'm certain that he who began a good work within you will continue his work. That's good news for you and I. Until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returned. My final thought, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7. Here's what Joshua says to his armor bearer. Hey, guy, let's go. Let you and I, you and I go take this thing. And you know what the response of his armor bearer was? You are outside of your mind. That's not what he said. He said, listen, he said, do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. I'm in. I am all in. Third thought, we need each other. We need the spirit and the attitude of Jonathan's armor bearer. Hey, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm all in. I've got your back. And Jonathan was able to do much more exceedingly than he thought he could, primarily because of God's strength and help, but also because of his armor bearer. We have been called out of isolation into a brotherhood of believers. 
That's what this is. This is his house. This is the church. We need each other. Pastor Stan touched on that during the Vital Signs series of belonging and becoming and, and blessing. Here's what Ecclesiastes tells us in the fourth chapter in the ninth verse. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I love that imagery. Two back-to-back can conquer, and three are even better. The third party being Jesus at the center of our lives. During our weekly pastoral meetings, Pastor Stan often takes a few moments at the beginning of our meeting, and, he, and, and we talk about, we reflect on, on whether we, we reflect on, on where we are seeing our people follow Jesus with their whole heart. We call these wins. And so we kind of a roundtable discussion. We're sitting in the staff meeting and Stan said, where, where have we seen some, some wins? And this week, I remember Pastor Dave talking about some wins in the youth ministry. And then uh, Pastor Jenny talked about some wins in the children's ministry. And we were like celebrating. Man, that's really cool. And, and then uh, uh, Jay Anderson, Superintendent Jay Anderson, chimed in with some wins at the high school and the elementary school. And I remember sitting there, and I just, I, I just thought to myself, man, I love this place. I absolutely love this place. I love this place not because of the facilities we have nor, nor, or, 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 or the ones that we're about to build or going to build. I, I'm not, I don't love this place because of all of this stuff that is here. I love this place because Jesus is in the house. I love this place because I'm a part of an amazing team who love Jesus and who love people. A leader that loves Jesus and loves people. I mean, when I look around the table, I look at Pastor Alex and, and Lisa, and I think, man, are you kidding me right now? With the si- adult singles and, and, and the impact that they're having? I, I think about Pastor Jenny and the children's I said, man, wow, amazing. And I can just look around the room and I think to myself, you know, Doug and, and Jeff, and that's just, just, that's just the guys and the staff. And then I think about beyond that, and I think about people like Bill and Eileen Stein. That's why I love this place. I think about the gang in pursuit. That's why I love this place. I think about Sheila praying all the time. Love this place. I just think about, I, I think about so many people that have been so faithful. David and Sally Ransdale. That's why I love this place. John and Pam Priest. Wow, are you kidding me? God, you must really love us to give us a guy of the quality of John and Pam. That's why I love this place. Marie Hollibaugh whom I kept up really late last night because I was late with my notes to her for this sermon. Such a servant. I love this place. Suzanne and Kurt Hayes and Cody, 
slinging coffee in the back, nobody noticing. Love this place. Art and Carolyn Hess, Randy Sapatan and his family. Love this place. George Crace helped us establish a high school when he could have stayed right where he was, successful. That's why I love this place. Dan and Sharla Wyland. That's why I love this place. You know, I look across the room and I just think, man, God, you really love us. We need each other. We got, we just do. It is not a little cliche. It's not a nice saying. It is the truth. It is the absolute truth. We need each other. God help us. June 2003, during our groundbreaking and prayer services on our new property, Michelle Leesman had a vision. That's another couple that I just really love. The, the Leesmans, wow. Thank you, Jesus, for the Leesmans. Pastor Stan, Michelle Leesman had a vision, is what she said. Pastor Stan began to lead us in a prayer time. And as I closed my eyes, the Lord blessed me with a vision. I was unable to speak. I saw the beautiful land the Lord had given us. That's before all of this was here. In the center of the land was a huge wide circle of doors. Many paths led up to each of the doors. One on each door was a sign that had the name of a ministry on it. Under each ministry sign, there were hundreds of names. People were walking down the pathways from all directions. They walked up to the doors, opened them, and walked, through, walked into a huge circle. At the center of the circle was Jesus. I couldn't see the end of each line of people. The line seemed to be unending. Thousands, tens of thousands were coming to Jesus. When I think of Kathy Cheney and Chris, love this place. Here's what 1 Corinthians tells us, and it kind of connects to that, that, door, that door vision that, that Michelle saw. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose Jonathan, I'm sure, as he stood there and looked at what was about to happen, there's a wide door of opportunity. We didn't see a wide door, but he saw a wide door because the God that he had, perhaps that the God that he, that he served in worship would open up that door and allow him to walk through it. And he did. If you read the rest of the story, all mess, just, everything just breaks loose and the, and, and the Philistines just kind of run for the hills. And the rest of the Israel, Israel army, they're looking and listening, all this commotion going on. In the, in the Philistine camp and, and saw things. What is happening here? And they're just running for the hills. They're killing each other even. Earthquake hits. All kinds of messes going on. God was in the house. And they won a huge victory. One guy with an honor bear. Plus God. A wide door of opportunity for effectual service is open to us. Let's go across to the outposts of the pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I'm excited about the Lord has done in Horizon and what he's about to do. But I'm really excited that we get to do it together. Perhaps the Lord will help. But in order for that to happen, I submit to you, we can't wait around for everyone to get on board before we do what God has put on our heart. God can change everything when he finds someone willing to do something. 
and we need each other. And with all of that and God's help, we'll do mighty things.